Hello and welcome to the inaugural edition of Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, the national NBA writer for the Washington Post. And joining me today, I'm very happy to say, is a man who not only is a good friend of mine and one of the best NBA reporters around, but he also is the foremost expert on travel and aviation in journalism. My friend from ESPN, Brian Winhorst. In all of journalism? All of journalism. Do you think? I do. Maybe all of NBA. I'm just saying all of journalism. I don't even. I'm even including the. I'm even including travel writers because we have talked. I don't know about we that. have talked many times about both travel and aviation. Many times, I think even more about travel than about aviation than travel because you uh, you have a very intense interest in planes, which always gives me. Great if I was smarter, if if I was like literally had a higher IQ, I could have been a pilot, but I'm not smart enough. Well, I, I think you're pretty smart, so I, I don't believe that. And I know some people who are pilots who aren't that smart. So, um, <laughs> give, I, since we haven't talked about this before, I, I want a quick uh, explanation on where this interest came from. Because Brian and I, for for listeners, Brian and I will be talking, and he'll just start rattling off the names of every kind of plane in the fleet for every airline and where they go and where what routes they're allowed to go on. It, it's uh, it, I'm, not, I'm really not kidding when I I say he's got an incredible knowledge of it. So where where did this come from? I don't know. From childhood, everybody has their obsessions. I, I really liked planes, and I studied them, and um, I watched them. The other day, I was actually late for a meeting with somebody because I was at an airport, and there was um, uh, an Air Force jumbo jet doing maneuvers where they were practicing touch-and-goes, and I happened to be in a vantage point where I could have a great view of the runway, and I just wanted to see it touch-and-go three or four times. It was just taking. It was just landing, immediately hitting the gas again, and taking off, and seeing a, like the biggest jet in the world do that and power up, and then just fly around the airport and come back and land. I, I don't know. I just I really got into it, and um, also I've you know, I take about about a hundred flights a year, so part of it is you live it. But uh, you know, the people who are listening to the inaugural posting a podcast, they're not going to care about my my weird obsession with airline travel. Well, listen, this this is what this podcast is going to be. It's going to be a meandering thing that goes from uh, topic to topic, Some most of the time about basketball, sometimes about other things. And uh, a lot of times I it's going to be about point. travel because every guest I have on is probably going to travel as much as we do, and we all talk about travel as much as we talk about the NBA because that's all we do. I got to a point um, for, for many years whenever there was playoff games in Miami, I always stayed at the same hotel that overlooked the airport. Now, every time I stay at a hotel – by the airport, I always ask for rooms, a room that overlooks the airport. So I would always leave um, in Miami. The Lufthansa had an A330, which or A380, which is the largest plane in the in the world right now, that would take off to fly to Frankfurt every day at like four o'clock. And I would leave to I would time my departure for the game so that I would be driving past the runway when the when the A380 took off. So I would keep an eye on when it would back out and it, it just so happened to you know be the same time I need to leave for the arena uh for every playoff game. And so that's when it would back out, I would um leave and you know be driving along the the runway basically and watch it take off. I got to see that many times and since it's Lufthansa and um it's the, it's the Germans 
uh, it always it was always on time. So um, I was always able to set my clock to it, and and so I, I do I do crazy stuff like that. So the last thirty seconds just completely backed up everything I said at the start of the podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> Once again, I'm right. Uh, speaking of taking off, the Sixers took off in a in a very strange and new direction yesterday. Professional segue in the first podcast. That's good uh, by hiring Jerry Colangelo uh, to not only be a managing, I think, an advisor to the managing partner, which in other words is just giving owner Josh Harris advice. He also is giving the the majestic title of chairman of basketball operations, which just so happens to be a higher title than president of basketball operations, which is what general manager Sam Hinkie's title was up until about 4.30 yesterday afternoon. Uh, this really stunned, I think, everybody in the league, including me, uh, when it happened. I don't think anybody really knew this was coming. So um, I was just curious. You know, we both wrote about it for today, but what were your what were your general thoughts on everything that happened? Well, there was a lot of chatter leading up to it about what exactly would be announced. And I, I don't mean just between reporters. I mean, you and I were communicating with it. I know you were taking a train from D.C. to New York. Yep. And you were speculating about whether you should get off in Philly. I was very mad at 4.30 uh, when I turned on my television at home and saw Jerry Colangelo sitting there. Uh, and and, it, <laughs> and to, to speak to that matter of speculation, I was having the same, uh, in addition to texting with you uh, in the quiet car on the uh, on the Amtrak, I was not. I was not pulling a Chris Christie. I was also texting with other people who kept saying, "Yeah, you know, I'm hearing something's going on somewhere." You know, there was there was some news that there was some speculation that Lionel Hollins might get fired yesterday. So that like I wasn't sure if it had something to do with that. You know, but there was there, and then you know, with everything that's happened with the Sixers, with you know Julio Okafor getting in trouble, and you know they're off to a terrible start. I mean, there were some people saying, "Well, maybe they're going to fire Brett Brown, that the the coach," and that didn't make sense. So. But I, I am right that I think until Jerry sat down at 4.30, nobody did really know what was going to happen, right? Well, yeah, I was um, texting with some you know, some general managers and league executive types who were you know, quizzing me on what it was, and we were trying to, you know, nobody heard anything. I mean, if, if, that, had, if that had gotten out, it was kept very tight. Um, very, um, nobody knew about it. Um, people were, were speculating. So it was kind of a surprise. Now, now let's just be crystal clear here whenever you make a senior management uh hire i won't say the word change because that would imply that there's a change of power but whenever you make a a senior leadership maneuver in the middle of a season it's almost never good news no um it's never good news you know it's never good news so you know because the sixers were very much trying to preach stability they let Brett Brown apparently talk about the fact that he's about to get a new contract. They didn't let Sam Hinkie say that. <laughs> Look, I was in um, I was in Philadelphia last week for Kobe Bryant's return to Philadelphia, and I I wrote a big piece uh, for the Washington Post last Thursday after talking to a bunch of people there, and there was no inkling from anybody below ownership level that there are any changes coming. You know, the the process was fully in place, and everyone was saying they were trusting in it, and you know, it was full steam ahead with the rebuild and we're building around young guys or we're, we're going to build through the draft. And, you know, yeah, we've had a couple of rough patches here, but things are going to work out. And so just a, a few short days later, Jerry Colangelo gets the title of chairman of basketball operations. I, I mean, the thing the thing that I was enjoying the most of the of the, the press conference yesterday was watching all three men sitting on stage, Sam Hinkie, Colangelo and Josh Harris, try to say that Sam Hinkie had not been demoted and hadn't had his power taken away 
you don't give someone the title of chairman and you don't bring in Jerry Colangelo to have him kind of sit there and, and throw out advice here and there. Jerry Colangelo is setting the agenda in Philadelphia. Even if he's not going to be there on a daily basis, he's the guy that's going to determine what's going to happen next. So I guess let me transfer because I think we both agree on that. Why do you think this happened? What Did this happen because of the Jaleel Okafor stuff um, with him getting in trouble with the law? Um, I know you wrote that owners talked to the league office and had been pushing for them to make a change. I heard that the league office um, was definitely involved in this and, and helped facilitate this to make this happen. So what do you, what do you think was the reason that precipitated this happening now? Well, the, the, the heart reason at the end of the day was that Joshua Harris, the you know, managing owner, decided to, uh, to make a change. I mean, you want to get right down to the bedrock of it. The owner decided to, to make a, a hire and give Sam Hinkie a, a boss. Obviously, for a long period of time, people have been upset about the way the 76ers are going about their business. Owners, I mean, you know, it's really not that big of a surprise that owner that, that fellow owners were not happy about this. They they tried to legislate out the 76ers plans when they pushed when a majority of them pushed for lottery reform a year ago. Um, that had a majority. It did not have the super majority that is needed. Yeah, they pass any sort of major rule change. You need twenty or the thirty votes. They just didn't have it. Now, is it twenty? Or majority, is, I think it's even more, Brian. Isn't it twenty three? I think it's. I think it's a. I think it's three quarters. You might than, be right about that. I think it's three quarters. I think you need twenty three of the thirty owners to to approve of it. I think it might be twenty for relocation. Does that that make might sense? be right? Eat, look, either way, it's not. It's not a fifty fifty deal. It's like the it's like right. the veto so in Congress. Of owners, you have to come back with way more than than fifty percent to get something done. A majority of owners were unhappy with the business implications and or the optics of the Sixers, the way they were going about doing their business, and they wanted they wanted it changed. They tried to legislate the change, and they weren't able to get it passed. But look, owners complain to Adam Silver about things every single day. I mean, owners complain about officiating calls. Owners complain about all kinds of things. Just because owners complain doesn't mean that you're going to get something done. But it is Adam's, in Adam Silver's job description to act on matters that will benefit the league and individual teams. And at some point, Josh Harris became open to the concept of bringing in somebody to, to help and Adam Silver was there, and he probably had already thought about it, and was probably ready. And um, had, you know, my I'm conjecturing here, but my guess is had probably even already talked to Jerry Colangelo about whether he was interested in getting back involved with the team. And then he made the connection. But at the end of the day, the owner of the 76ers has to make the decision. Um, he can be he can be prodded by his partners. He can be advised by the commissioner, but ultimately the 76ers owner has to make the decision. I think the bigger thing here is Sam Hankey may be ahead of his time because in a laboratory, what he is doing is the correct thing. He looked at this very closely. He did studies on it and he just decided and, and with, with a lot of thought, the best chance that you can give yourself to get multiple star players is to get high draft picks, um, in multiple drafts and in a laboratory, he was doing exactly what the rules in place, uh, enabled him to do. I don't think, you know, I don't think he sold it. I don't think that, I don't think he even cared about selling it. I think no, he didn't care about selling it at all. 
And I think and and he, and I think that was probably his biggest problem because I think the way you said it, Brian. I mean, I and I agree with you for the record. I mean, in 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 a laboratory, he did everything that you're supposed to do to try to build a, a championship team. You know, he he's he's acquired a ton of assets, a ton of draft picks. He's gotten high picks in the lottery. You know, he's done he's done a lot of smart things. And I think if you look through each individual move he's made, he's probably won every single one of them in terms of a. Did you end up with the better assets or not? But I think if you look at the way the Sixers have run things the last couple of years, I think you would agree with me that the biggest issue that they've had is that from a PR standpoint, they haven't worried about what anybody's thought about them. Look, you shouldn't make decisions based off what people think about you. That's a bad way to do your job. But if you don't care about explaining why you're doing things and laying out a vision publicly, there leaves a vacuum and once there's a vacuum, people start to put their own thoughts in it. And when you're losing a ton of games and you're not getting better on the court right away and all you have are future draft picks to look forward to but nothing that gives you current hope on the court that things are going to get better soon, it gets really easy for people to get upset about the process and upset about where things are going. And then they say, well, we need to make a change now because this is an abomination of a team. As we saw last night when the Sixers lose by 51 to a Spurs team that doesn't have Kawhi Leonard, Tim Duncan, or Manu Ginobili playing. I think also the thing is that there's more to be dealt with as the general manager and president of a team than just the 15 guys that you have on the roster. Um, You also have to answer to ticket holders, sponsors, um, your owner, your boss. Um, You have to worry about uh, chemist, uh, chemistry, you have to worry about culture, and to get to that final product, you know, do you have to inflict some damage on the players along the way? You have to worry about reputation, you know, the concept that um, maybe agents won't want their players playing for you um, because they think it'll hurt their, you know, they don't want their draft picks to be subjected to this for a period of time. There's all these ancillary things that go on to just beyond team building. So from a strict team building standpoint, like I said, I think Sam Hinkie might be ahead of his time here. You know, somebody may do this later on and be able to figure this out a little bit better because of where Sam failed. But heck, the, Spur- you know, the, heck, ultimate- the Sixers, Brian, could be, if they, if they get the first and fourth picks in the lottery next year, they could be set up in eight months. I mean, it, it really, yeah. it really could be that close. I mean, it, they're not that yeah. far away if they have things break their way. And I think what Sam would say is when we are good, everybody will come back and nobody will remember, you know, just like they say, you know, that mothers don't remember the childbirth. They just remember the baby. Um, having not given birth, I can't speak to that, but that is a saying. <laughs> I think that's um, exactly what he would say. I, I think, I think that's I think, how they've, they've viewed everything is once they have the players, the people will come and they'll be fine. And, and he's, and he's probably right about that. But, you know, again, in the interim here, you know, Josh Harris, and his and his partners have to go meet with you know their their peers as NBA owners, and they've got to explain why they're what they're contributing to the league is dwindling. I've seen some people compare, and they say, well, why wouldn't you know there be pressure on the Lakers to do something? You know, the Lakers are a flagship franchise, and you know they're they've made some questionable decisions, and, and you know why wouldn't maybe Adam Silver? Um, try to find somebody to help the Lakers. 
and there's there's a huge difference between the, the the Sixers and the Lakers, and the, and the difference is that the that the Lakers are still getting it done from a business perspective. They're still paying in huge sums of money to the revenue sharing pool because of their television contract, and in fact, they still have great attendance and and are still get huge sponsorships. Um, if they continue to lose like this for the next six years, that may not be the case. But you know from a business standpoint, from the spreadsheet standpoint, they're not at the board of governors meetings saying Lakers, you're not pulling your freight. Cause you know, at the end of the day, if you're the, if you're the owner of, uh, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies, you're perfectly fine with the Lakers being awful and the Sixers being awful. That's just three, five wins, three, five wins for you, or, or you know, six wins, you know, y- y- obviously there's going to be bad teams, but it's the concept of doing things that hurt the business and the potentially damage uh, the business long-term. And the Lakers are not doing that. The, six, the Sixers are. And that's just a factor in all this. That's something that has to be taken into account. And I think, and I think Brian, I think that the impetus for this was the stuff that happened with Jaleel Okafor. Because I think, you know, for all the people that have said that the, the league needed to step in and do something about this, the bottom line is that they weren't, like you, the, the, the Sixers weren't breaking any rules. Like you said, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I, I think Sam Hinkie probably is a bit ahead of his time in terms of how he is going about doing the job. And, you know, you can't really argue on an individual basis with each of the moves he made, no matter how mad people got about them. But when you talk about damaging the business of the league and you talk about impacting the way people view things, when you see the number three pick in the draft go through situation after situation here recently with the law and having getting in fights outside of bars and getting caught going 110 miles an hour. Um, that reflects really badly. And when you look at the Sixers, not having any adults in the room in terms of having, I think, one guy over thirty uh, over 24 on their roster, and that guy Carl Landry hasn't played yet this season, it just it just was a bad look. And you have Mike Krzyzewski, who obviously has ties to Jerry Colangelo coming out and basically saying Jaleel Okafor is the greatest human being of all time last week, um, you know, certainly putting blame on the Sixers. Um, so I, I think that's really where a lot of this came from. But I want to I transition, though, to the Lakers because um, we, we, were in, we were together in Washington last week and we saw Kobe Bryant possibly play his last good game as a pro um, <laughs> against the, the Wizards. Drew flashback performance, uh, led the Lakers to a win. Um, has gone back to being horrendous uh, immediately after that, as he was in the game in Philadelphia that I saw too. And I'm just curious, what do you think the end game for this season is for Kobe? He's clearly not going to take a back seat to the young players on the team. He's clearly going to keep trying to play as many minutes as he can. Do you see? Do you see him at some point kind of accepting the fact that he is not able to play 30 to 35 minutes a night? Or do you see him just doing that until he gets hurt and not making it to April? Because I, I think the latter is what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I would. I mean, at this point, I, we've seen him break down three years in a row because of heavy minutes. I mean, maybe you can't draw a direct line, but most people can say that the heavy minutes contributed to his Achilles. Coming back too early from the Achilles and playing too many minutes affected uh, breaking his knee. And then last year, he had a sore shoulder and tried to play through it instead of letting it heal, and it and he suffered a season-ending injury. Age is related to all that, but it's a combination of age and him pushing too hard, and it looks right now like he's he's pushing too hard to me. So my big thing is I don't know how he can he's going to stay upright. And, you know, Byron Scott has said this many times. He has said, my goal is to have Kobe finish the year on his 
on his two feet, which sounds like a pretty simplistic goal. But when you realize that the last three years, he hasn't been able to do that. Um, that is a realistic goal. So Byron out of one side of his mouth says, I want him to finish the year. Right. And the other side of the mouth says, I can't control his minutes. So I'm going to have to play him. Toby is such a unique individual. You really can't uh, compare him to anything and you really can't talk much sense into him. He has a belief on what he can do. And, um, he's so strong-willed, and that strong will helped the Lakers and Kobe become great. I mean, the 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 headstrong and willfulness that says I'm going to go out and play every single night, and I'm going to I'm going to shoot 23 times, and I'm going to play in back-to-backs and four and fives and everything, is the same guy who refused to accept mediocrity, refused to accept losing, and pushed the Lakers, and you know not only got them three the first three championships, but pushed them to get better, push the organization to make the moves that enabled them to get the second two championships. So um, it's just Kobe being Kobe. And uh, it, you know, every single one of the, you know, they're on this big long road trip right now and every single stop has been a coronation. And really they're sort of an ideal opponent right now because your building is going to sell out. (laughs) Your fans are going to be very, (laughs) your fans are going to be very excited. Yep. Uh, you're going to sell a lot more hot dogs and beer. Yep. And, uh, and you're going to win. Probably going to win. Yeah, and you're going to win the vast majority of the time. They don't tell the people in Washington that. Um, were you? You're a little bit older than me, but not that much. Did you? Did you cover Jordan's final season, or did you, did you start covering the league just after that? The first year I covered the league was, was Jordan's final year. Okay, so um, so but, so let me. That was what I wanted to ask you, because um, I I wasn't I was watching, but I wasn't covering the league then. Is this is this like that or is this different? I'm trying to remember, man. I just I can't remember. What I remember is, you know, Jordan had he had a bad knee, and there were just certain nights where he didn't he just didn't have it, and there were other nights where he looked really good. Um, it didn't have this variance like you know this Kobe where you know well, I some meant- nights he's just. Well, Kobe's been awful pretty much every game, but I, I meant more from a pageantry, a pageantry standpoint. Because I mean, like we were, I was at the game in Philadelphia, which was you know a really important game for Kobe because of his relationship with his hometown and the fact that he had never gotten the love that he got last Tuesday that he did from the home fans. They you know they gave him a thirty second standing ovation and they. You know, they chanted his name throughout the game, and they, they really gave him the kind of adoration he's always wanted. And Washington, I mean, Washington was like at the game in Brooklyn earlier in this year where there were 90 to 95% of the fans there rooting for the Lakers and to the point where they were booing John Wall while he was trying to hit free throws at the end of the game to try to <laughs> tie the game at home, which certainly didn't make the cat or the, the Wizards very happy at all. So... I, it's just been a surreal thing to watch, and I, I just didn't know if it compared to to that final trip around the league for Jordan for you as someone who's covered both ends of it. See, I don't think Jordan had announced his retirement. So it was a little different. I probably should have researched. What's that? Well, I, didn't, I mean, I didn't ask you that either, so I wasn't sure. Uh... Yeah, so but it was different. So it was different. I mean, it, I mean, obviously you could tell Jordan was near the end, right. but you didn't have this pre-announced scheduled retirement tour, which now we know like in every single market in the NBA, after Kobe announces retirement, the following day 
on the in the newspapers, websites, and television networks, everybody said, "Well, Kobe's last appearance will be March X, yep. January fourteenth, February eleventh." You know, um, talk about good business you know, for the league. Every single team in the league is happy about that because they're, like you said, I mean, it's just going to be a every place he goes is going to be a total madhouse. Right, I and mean, it just wasn't like that with Jordan. The last time I saw Jordan play live, uh, he hit a game winner at the buzzer. Um, That's a pretty so great way to go out. He, for you. Yeah, so he was still, he was still executing, uh, you know, and I say this and somebody could probably bring statistics out and and prove me wrong, but I still think he was performing at a reasonably high level. You just you just knew that that knee was was bothering him. Um and you could see it affect him, but it wasn't the same it wasn't the same. And it really honestly, if you'd told me a year ago this would have happened, I would have denied it because I would have thought that Kobe and his ultra competitive self would not have allowed there to be a circus um you know the kobe would much rather you curse him out than um than you know give him gifts and everything but i think that he has come to the realization that he no longer no longer can compete at the highest level and so he's pivoted and decided to embrace the circus i think he's making the best of the situation i don't think jordan was forced to make that chance in michael jordan's final season at age 39 he averaged 20 points a game, played every game, shot 45% from the field, and just under 30% from the three-point line. All numbers dramatically better than Kobe Bryant at this point. And and they did not make the playoffs, but they were competitive, and they tried to make the playoffs. Um, they certainly were not um, a guaranteed win every night. Like Jordan, the Jordan averaged 20 points, six rebounds, and almost four assists, and a steal and a half a game at 39 playing 37 minutes a game on a bum knee which was which was crazy too many by the way i mean you know, sure. he was just running his, but um he you know i take i take that back people knew it was his last game because they you know they knew i remember now that i say that i'm i'm having well, think, memories i well, remember right cuz he all, didn't he also write the dear basketball letter that uh that that kobe wrote i mean or uh, wrote a letter instead of a poem wasn't that wasn't that the big I thing when the kobe to, letter came out I mean, there was there, he definitely I, wrote a letter that ran in a bunch of papers across the country that was titled Dear Basketball. I seem to remember that it might have been in Atlanta. They moved the Bulls' last game in Atlanta from the from Phillips Arena to the Dome. I oh, think in one arena. Okay. In one arena, they moved a um, they moved the final game into the into a bigger venue. Because you know, so fifth of forty thousand could go instead of twenty thousand. Well, and I do know that people. Um, I do know, and like I know, because I was talking to my uh, my editor about it. He went to the game in. Uh, he went to the game in, 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 in one of the games that final season. And Jordan played a few minutes and then couldn't play anymore because or didn't play well because his knee was bothering him. And, yeah, uh, I. I and he so like, he he must have he must have had that he must have been announced. I remember his final game was in Philadelphia. And uh, they brought the public relations announcer from the longtime PA guy from the Bulls um, into Philly to announce him at the, for the final time. Um, so, yes, it was known and it was celebrated, but I don't think it was – I don't remember it being like this is, is a short way to put it. So were you – so was that, that, was that game in Cleveland, the game you were, you were talking about? The game that, that – Yeah, he, he is. The game winner? He had a shot at the buzzer to beat the Cavs. He was he was wide open. Of course, obviously, everybody remembers the shot back in um, sure. 89. And uh, so here it was like 12 years later or so. And 
if I remember correctly, he was wide open. Um, he, uh, there was, it was, you know, it was a tie game or the, uh, the wizards were down one and, um, they ran a play and Jordan ends up standing alone by himself, like 16 feet. And of course you're like, how, <laughs> who, who in the history of basketball would you leave wide open there? Uh, other than Michael Jordan, but they, they somehow didn't cover him. And you know, the Cavs were, or were horrible teams then. So it probably wasn't that big of a surprise. Well, yeah, that's true because that was the season that uh, that was the season that preceded LeBron. That that yeah, so they that was right. They were they were a terrible. LeBron terrible came team. to the game. LeBron came to the game as a fan, and they uh, had an audience each other in the hall. There's a there's a photo out there of of LeBron in his in his Letterman in his um, high school Letterman jacket, <laughs> um, standing in the hallway of uh, of the Ben Gund Arena with Jordan wearing you know a five thousand dollars suit. And the two of them talking. A sign um, of things to come. Yes. It was uh torch passing to a certain extent, yeah. Yeah. No, and, and uh and obviously anybody who's listening to this knows of your uh your extensive relationship with LeBron going way back to those days. So um speaking of him, what do you what do you think of this Cleveland team? Because I, I can't really get a great read on them. Uh I think we both agree that barring catastrophic injury they are the overwhelming favorites to get back to the finals again um so i know none of this really matters in the the grand scheme but but you know 20 games in or so where where do you see this group right now well uh i think on one hand you know they haven't had two starters and timo mozgov who was extremely important to them has just not been right he's had is he still hurt, or is he just recovering from the off-season surgeries well, that he had? Because he's looked, he's looked like a ask. mess. Okay. It depends on it depends on who you ask. He has said on the record on several occasions that his knee is still bothering him. But I think somebody got to him, or he started. He stopped wanting to talk about it because he he stopped talking about it. The Cavs, meanwhile, say he's okay and he needs to just play his way into shape. Um, he also suffered a shoulder injury, so you know they're missing two starters, and Mozgov has been a shell of himself. And they're still sitting, you know, basically right at the top of the East. So when you look at it like that, you'd say, okay, well, they did okay, uh, considering that really Amon Shumpert and Kyrie Irving are nearing returns. They're both practicing. They, you know, I would think there's a pretty good chance of them being back before or even on Christmas for that game at Golden State. I think from that standpoint, they've done a decent job. The thing about it is they started the season 8-1, and one, and Kevin Love had really – developed a, a new rapport with LeBron and they were, you know, they were playing pretty good defensively for a while. They were ranked, I think, um, number two or three in offense and like number, number nine in defense. And, you know, you get in the top 10 in both of those categories, you're talking about really good stuff. And that was even without their firepower. And then they really just for three weeks have been kind of uh, regressing. Love is, um, sort of fallen back into last year's love where he hasn't been as involved offensively and has been more of a let it come to me than, than becoming a playmaker. Um, their defense has sagged pretty dramatically and they've plummeted down the defensive ratings and they've, uh, they just haven't, they haven't shown the ability to, um, to show a killer instinct when they're playing teams that they're better than and, and they've struggled a little bit. And I think they, after starting eight and one, I think they went five and six. So, you know, listen, uh, every team, except for apparently the Warriors, goes through a, a spell during the year where they're not at their best. But I think it's kind of a missed opportunity because you look at how bunched up the East is 
the Cavs really had a favorable first 20 games of their schedule. It it just started turning on them. Um, and now really, especially from Christmas Day onward, their schedule's pretty tough. And I think they had an opportunity to go out and get off to, you know, a 16-4 and four type start. And they weren't able to do that. And so, you know, it's a missed opportunity. Through their last 10 games, the Cavaliers are 22nd in the league in defense, which is um, really, you know, it really is all you need to know. They should not, there's no way they should be, even with some of their injuries, they're they're better than uh, they're better than that. And they, they have a zero, I mean, they have the same exact rating on offense and defense too, which also is just not, I mean, they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be in that kind of a position clearly. Now, something that you said recently, um, that picked up some traction because usually whenever you say anything about LeBron, it picks up traction. Is you said that uh, that he has some paranoia about the Warriors, um, and I I'm just curious. You know, you you look you kind of look at this Cleveland team, and they're obviously going to be good for a long time now. But you you look at the group uh, in Minnesota with Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns, and you look at the Warriors, who obviously are going to be great for a long time, and you look at the Thunder, who have you know, assuming those guys stick together, they have a group that's going to be good for a long time. And, you know, LeBron, you know, he's just, he's six weeks younger than me. He's coming up on his 31st birthday. He's had some back issues. Um, do you, do you look at, do you look at him and do you see him kind of looking around and wondering if he's going to be able to get the two or three or four more titles that he might've hoped he was going to be able to get after getting those first couple with the heat? I've been uh, around long enough to know that I don't know. I just I can't tell you what's going to happen in. Um, um, well, I just mean I just mean. Do you see? I'm not saying he's going to get them. I mean, do you see him looking around? And I mean, when you say he has paranoia about the Warriors, do you do you think he's looking around and saying, "I'm not sure that I have the pieces around me, or that I can lift this group to get done what I want to"? No, I think he has competition. Supreme, I think he's concerned about the Warriors for sure, and I think. When the Cavs were were starting to struggle, he was uh, really trying to use the Warriors as motivation to get the Cavs going, and it didn't really work. <laughs> um, and now he's got to take his eyes off the Warriors and do some hard work with his team, and then he can worry about that. I, I think. Look, I think when LeBron decided to leave Miami, he coming home was a factor. Absolutely, he would probably say the biggest factor, but he was also looking around and seeing that he was the youngest player on an aging team and he had an owner that was not, he wasn't sure was going to be able to go to the, to the wall to pay, not just because generally his constitution, but because they were facing going into the repeater tax, which was going to severely limit what they could do. Um, so now LeBron has put himself in a position that not only is he home, but now he's the youngest player. I'm sorry. He's the oldest player of the core. Um, and they've got pretty much the entire core signed. Kyrie Irving is signed for on the start of a five-year contract. Kevin Love, first year of five-year yeah, contract. Yeah, what part of the core isn't signed? I mean, everybody, uh, I guess Mozgov, right? I guess he's the one guy that doesn't have a contract. Mozgov is not signed, right. So, But everybody else is locked so, up for several years. Shumpert, Love, and, Irving. Tristan Thompson. Tristan Thompson, of course, right? Can't forget him, sure. And uh, LeBron's not signed, but, you know, he... I don't think it's going anywhere. So, oh, true. Yes, That's right. And LeBron's just right. LeBron's going year to year and just going to get as much money as he can get every year. Sure. So I think LeBron can say, I've put myself in the best position I can to be competitive going forward. Kevin Love is 27. Kyrie Irving, I think, is about to turn 23, or he is 23. Um, 
you know, the way Love plays, you know, his game, she, Kevin Love should be able to play till he's 40, to be honest with you, because he's still going to be six foot ten and still going to be able to shoot. Yeah, Kyrie's, Kyrie um, turns 24 in March. And, yeah, I totally agree with you on Kevin Love. I mean, there's no reason he can't be hitting threes. I mean, there's no reason he can't have a career like Dirk. I mean, not to be the player Dirk is, but, I mean, Dirk is 37 or 38 and still getting shots off wherever he wants. Right. You know, so I think the point is, you know, Kyrie is just coming into his own, really. I mean, he's got injury problems, but, you know, Steph had injury problems, too. Uh, I'm not saying that Curry is, is uh, or that, that Kyrie is Steph, but I'm just saying, you know, the guy is, you know, an all-star player. Well, Steph Curry's uh, on the best contract in the league because people didn't think he could stay healthy when he signed it. I mean, when Steph right. Curry signed a four-year contract for $44 million, a lot of people said, yeesh, that's a lot of money for a guy that hasn't really proven he could stay on the court. And since then, he hasn't that's missed true. a game and has become the greatest hit shooter in the history of mankind. So That's true. So I think, um, you know, LeBron feels pretty good about where he's put himself. Not only that, he is now with an owner who will spend. You know, they have a $110 million payroll. And, uh, you know, I just don't think that the Heat would have ever had a $110 million payroll under these circumstances. No so, chance. No chance. They weren't, they weren't going so to spend he, Mikhail Prokhorov-level money to put a team on the court. And that's not even, so, that's not even mean, necessarily a knock on them. I don't. I think there's only two or three owners in the league that would spend that kind of money if they were in the position. No, whenever you talk about the Heat, you have to understand that the rules changed on them after they, you know, they signed LeBron, Wade, and Bosh, and then a year later they changed the rules on them. In part the, because the of the changed. fact that the Heat signed LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. That's exactly <laughs> correct. But right. at the end of the day, the rules changed on them. They didn't say, hey, the rules are changing in four years. They said the rules are changing today. Yep. So the heat, the heat, you know. And now, by the way, they got two titles and four finals runs out of it. Uh, I'd say it worked out well for everybody, any, right? Exactly. I'm not drawing any tears, but you know, there, the heat are. It's not completely. There's some circumstances, but I think if you said, you know, LeBron has positioned himself to make the best he can. I mean, nothing is a is a sure thing. He's he's given himself a strong hand to use a poker metaphor, and he will continue to play that hand with the hope that at some point in whether it's this year or the next two years. That it turns into a winning hand. The Thunder have had a great hand for the last three or four years. They've played it every year, and for, they've had bad beats. Right, they haven't even know? got back to the finals uh, yet. I mean, when when you you know when when we saw them play the the cat or the Heat in 2012, we thought that was the new Bird Magic setup that I was going to be, you know, Heat Thunder and LeBron Durant for the next five or six years, and instead, you know, LeBron's LeBron's held up his end of the bargain, but for various reasons, the. Uh, you know the Thunder just haven't haven't been able to do it, which plays back to your your point about you, know, you just have to put yourself in the best best position possible, and then hope that you know you get the breaks to go your way. Right, and so I think he's done that. So no, to get back to your original question, does LeBron feel like his window is closing? No, I don't think he does. Do I think he realizes that last year was the year you wanted to get the Warriors? Yeah, I think he. I think he, and I think that's why. That loss was taken so hard, and it was so hard to swallow those injuries because, right. you know, the cat, you know, regard, you know, right now it doesn't look feasible, but, but then the Cavs thought they they could have won that game, right. that series, and even without love, if if Kyrie could have stayed healthy, you know, maybe they could have squeezed out two more wins. Look, so it's, I think it's easy for people to forget. Uh, totally, it's easy for people to forget. But you and I were at Game Four of that series last June. And there wasn't a single person in the building, including people on either team, who was thinking that that series was over and the Warriors are going to win it when they were trailing 2-1. to one. I mean, everybody went into the gym that day thinking, whoever wins this game is going to win the series, and there's no reason to think that LeBron can't pull this off. And it's not, 
I it, I certainly don't think it's an indictment of LeBron that they didn't win. I mean, he's playing. He was playing with an incredibly limited hand at that point, and basically was just trying to carry them to a championship by himself. But but yeah, they were right there, and that was without Love and, and Kyrie. And you would think if they do get a chance to get everybody back and healthy, they can have a heck of a team again this year. I mean, you, I mean, you know this better than me, but I, I want to say their record when those three guys were healthy last year, what they, the end of the season, like what, a 33-3 and three run? And then we're just completely obliterating the, the Celtics when uh, Olenek and Love got tied up and Love hurt his shoulder. I mean, they, they were they looked like a team that could – that could win 65 games. So, you know, I don't see there's any reason to think they couldn't give everybody a run if they, they get on the same page. Yeah, and I think that's why you play the games. I mean, um, every team, even the 2015-16 Warriors, are one injury away from mediocrity. Um, that's the nature of the game of basketball. That's why you play it out. Um, at the You know, when, when Kyrie Irving went down after game one last year, I think, you know, there were plenty of people that thought, well, this is going to be a sweep. Oh, I thought and, so. Uh, I thought it was going to be a sweep you know, three, for sure. Four days later, the Cavs are up 2-1. So um, that's just the nature of the game. That's why you play it out. You, you put yourself in the best position, and I think the Cavs feel like they put themselves in as good of a position as they could. No, totally. I don't think you can argue with that. Speaking of being put in a position uh, to see where things go from there, um, the hometown team, for a lot of people listening to this, is the Washington Wizards who have been putting them, tried to put themselves in position to try to go after Kevin Durant for about two years now. And in the meantime, they've put together a pretty good team that I think a lot of people, I'm going to certainly put myself in this group, thought could be the team that gave LeBron the most trouble this year in the East and maybe did finish second and maybe could you know, break through and get to a conference finals um, behind John Wall and Bradley Beal. They had a nice win last night in Miami, but... You know, they lost to the Lakers last week. They nearly lost to the, the Suns on Friday. Um, they got beat pretty badly at home by the Mavericks on Sunday. They've been all over the place. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts on, on them at this point, and why do you think that this shift to playing faster and a little smaller that, you know, I thought was going to lead to John Wall really blowing up this year, why do you think that also hasn't really worked out so far for them? Uh, I think the Wizards personify – what has been a very unstable and um, a very parody-laden Eastern Conference so far. And I can say this because the last two road games that the Wizards have played have been uh, against the teams that are at that point number one in the conference, and they have won both those games <laughs> uh, when while they were not, completely unexpected. While not having about seven players in each game because of injury. Right. They're, they're, they're down to playing Ryan Hollins, a uh, guy who wasn't on the team 10 days ago. Um, so, uh, honestly, this has not been a good start. I don't think, I don't think that's a, um, I don't think that's a controversial statement. It has not been a good start. Um, they thought they would mesh better. They thought that their off-season additions would enable them to, play small more effectively and they have run into growing pains, but really they don't have a choice besides staying the course. That is the situation that they're in. I, I don't think that, that there's a, that there, that there's a trade that they can make or that there's a change that they can make um, that is going to change, that is going to dramatically change their situation. I think their move is to stay the course. And I think over the last few years, they have been reasonably well rewarded by doing that. You know, they now, Randy Whitman could have been fired in both of the last two years. Uh, I think two years ago, he started the season off two and seven. 
he could have been fired. Um, Ernie Grenfeld and Ted Leonsis backed him up, and uh, the team rounded into form, and um, they ended up making the second round of the playoffs and, and, and fought the Pacers, you know, under different circumstances you don't know. And then last year, you know, through February, they lost 11 of 13 games. And, again, you had to wonder if there needed to be a change. And um, at the end, they were playing – as really one of the best four or five teams in the league. And if John Wall hadn't uh, fractured his wrist, he's, you know, maybe they're in the conference finals. So I think while there, I can understand the growing level of frustration that this team is under 500 at the quarter pole, um, or at least maybe they're not quite at the quarter pole yet, but they're pretty close. Essentially they're under 500 at the quarter pole. Um, that's extremely, it's extremely frustrating, but I think their move is to just, keep fighting the fight, keep, you know, working on small ball, trying to identify what players and what matchups work the best and hope to get healthy. For as frustrating as this has been for Wizards fans and for the team as well, right now Washington is three and a half games behind Cleveland and they're in 11th place. So when you say the East is muddled, that is an understatement. The whole league at this point is muddled. And I certainly think there's enough time for them to get their their act together, um, especially when, you know, I mean, barring an injury to John Wall, um, you know, and I know he banged his knee the other night, but he, he played against the Heat and they won. Things really couldn't have gone much worse for them so far. Brad Beal missed time. Uh, Wall has played terribly. All their bigs have been hurt. Um, it, this, you know, it, it really couldn't have gone much worse, and they're still in prime position to be right where they want to be at the end of the season. So I, I certainly agree with your 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 attack on them, you know, needing to just stay the course and, you know, ride things out and see where they end up. But speaking of that, I mean, look, obviously the Kevin Durant free agency situation is something that everyone in the league has been paying attention to for a couple of years now. Um, you were right in the middle of LeBron's um, departure from Cleveland in the first place and as well as his return a couple of years ago, you know, Kevin Durant's free agency is going to be the only thing that's come close to rivaling that you know and the Wizards with this being his hometown um, are going to be prime players there but the thing that's been lost in this you know chase after Durant by a lot of teams next summer is that there isn't a lot on the table after Durant goes somewhere whether he stays in Oklahoma City or he signs with the Wizards or he goes to wherever it, you know the Wizards have really put everything into this plan of let's build and have a couple young you know have John and Brad and you know we've got this team that's you know ready to to contend if we can get a guy like Durant to come play here but if he doesn't come what do you think the plan b for them should be because right now it doesn't seem like there is an obvious one based off of kind of the limited market of guys that's going to be available next summer well do you think that the wizards are willing to spend do you think the wizards are willing to have three max players if if the third max player is not Kevin Durant, that's a big question. Uh, well, I guess we'll have to find out. I mean, I I certainly think I certainly think they're I certainly think they're going to pay Bradley Beal a max at least as of now. And right, they have, so you're going to have John Wall on the max. You're going to have Brad you're on the have max. Bradley Beal on the max, and they're going to have an extra, I think, fourteen million to spend. Plus, they're paying other guys, and once they pay Brad, they're going to go way up over the over the cap. So. Um, what's, what's, all right, let's say for the sake of argument, cause I have a feeling you have a theory, then yes, let's say that, let's say Ted Leontes is willing to pay for three max guys, regardless of the circumstances. Let's say they so go into the summer thinking that. And you're going to, you, what you're going to need is a forward, either a small forward or a power forward. Ideally a guy who can play both positions. 
Um, and if you're not going to, obviously you make the offer for Durant. And I would assume that the Wizards will get him. If, if Durant takes meetings, I would assume the Wizards will get a meeting. If they don't get a meeting, that'd be a pretty gigantic disappointment for everyone here, given how, given well, how much time they've the, spent waiting for that to happen. Yeah. I don't think he's, I don't think as we sit here today in the first week of December, second week of December, I don't think he's leaving Oklahoma city, but I've I don't think he will either, that, but that's my opinion. That, that, that does. You know, you don't know until you get to the end. Who knows? Right. If, six months, so is, a, six months gonna, is a long time in the NBA, as you and I know. So obviously you're going you're gonna to offer Durant. If Durant tells you no and you are willing to spend the money, you're going to need a forward. And this is where playing the free agency game is so maddening because what happens as a free agent, especially when you're not signing your own player, especially when you're signing somebody else, you almost always overpay. Almost always. The only time you don't and, overpay is when you're signing someone like Kevin Durant or LeBron James, who you cannot overpay. That's right. But if you but if so, you're in a situation where it's an open market, just by the nature of the open market, you're going to overpay unless there's a rare circumstance where you you know either you're signing a guy like that or you sign somebody that you find off the scrap heap or something. But Certainly when you're shopping in that second tier, right? I mean, that's always been the NBA thing. You never want to shop in the second tier in free agency because that's well, when Well, I'm you about get to hammered. give you some second-tier free agents well, that they're the, going to have to— Well, that's the problem for the, that's the, problem for the Thunder. It, I mean, or not the Thunder. The problem for the Wizards. It's that, you, you know, that's all that's there. There's Al Horford, who doesn't necessarily fit, but obviously I think they should go after. There's Mike Conley, who doesn't make any sense because they have John Wall. And then there's Durant. And then after that, there's a lot of guys like— uh, DeMar DeRozan and Nicholas Batum off the top who are clear second tier guys that are going to probably get max contracts and Harrison Barnes and who's Harrison restricted. Barnes who is restricted but who, if but I but would be intriguing it's an intriguing name but these are guys who are not all-star players although they're you know DeRozan I guess made the all-star team last year but he but here's the point so like let's say let's say Durant comes out July 3rd and says I'm re-signing in, in Oklahoma City Okay, now the Wizards are looking to take the next step. They have money. They say, okay, we're going to go after DeMar DeRozan. And not only do you have to fight the Raptors, you got to fight 15 other teams, including a team like the Lakers, and DeRozan's from L.A. Well, not just the Lakers. You've got the Knicks who are going to have a bunch of money. You're going to have the Nets who are going to have a bunch of money. You're going to have every team in the league is going to have a ton of money because of the way the cap has exploded. You know, Just about every team is going to have the ability to sign a max guy, and there's not a lot of guys to sign. Right, so... Um... You know, I, I'd consider, you know, I, I don't know if free agency is the way to go for the Wizards. And uh, I know that that's not what their fans want to hear. But if you can't get Durant, or at least maybe... Now, when you say free agency is not the way to go, like, and let's say Durant's off the table. Let's just, because I think a lot of people in Washington, to give credit to the people there, I think a lot of people in Washington have already just written off that as a real possibility. I think they look around... They see the situation that Durant's in Oklahoma City. You know, there's been some talk about Golden State, who could make a couple moves and be right there. Um, the, obviously, the Lakers are going to be in play. There's there's a lot of teams in play for Durant. So I think, I think the you know although the fans there would love to see him come back, um, and let's not forget he just came back a month ago and it was about as catastrophic a, a day as you could have. He got hurt. He got booed. Um, the the they, the Thunder I think won by five million points. Um, it just was a total debacle of a day. It, but if you but if you don't think free agency is the thing they should do, what should they do? Should they sit it out? Should they swing for a trade? What 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 do you think the course they should take is? 
Well, there's a couple of different things that that you could do. Um, One of them is you could break up the money and look to get some role players and say, okay, we have uh, Beal and Wall and, and, you know, maybe upgrade some people around them. Uh, Another thing you could do, and this is something that is, you know, it's, it may not be attractive, but it certainly may pay dividends is you could give John Wall a raise. How could you give John a raise? What would you do? So this is this is pretty rare. This doesn't happen very often because most teams don't have um, salary cap space uh, that they don't want to use on free agents. But that is going to be the case for several teams this summer. Right. And one of the things you can do is, you know, people often confuse NFL rules with NBA rules. In NFL, you see guys renegotiate their contracts all the time, restructuring their contracts. You can't renegotiate an NBA contract downward. Like you can't say, all right, I know I'm signed for 10 million for the next two years, but instead I'll take 5 million and then I'll take a third year. That's not the way it works. But you can, if you have cap space, you can negotiate a contract upward. If the, if the Wizards can't land their free agents this year, now there's a certain set of circumstances you have to fit into. And it's got to be three years since the, the previous signing of the contract. And I think John Wall signed his extension in 2013. So by July 2016, by my math, I think that would mean he's eligible for an extension. That is three years. Um, You're right about that. So, and I remember John complaining. Um, John very famously. You know, John very famously said, "I'm now making the same money as Reggie Jackson," and he said it in a way right. that was uh, rather derogatory towards Reggie Jackson. And to be fair, deservedly so because he's. He's a much better player than Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson is the Eastern Conference Player of the Week, sir. I have you all. He had, that. He's had a that I'm on I'm on board Team Pistons, but I don't think there's I don't think there's anybody that would question that John Wall is a better player than Reggie Jackson. And considering that that um, that Bradley Beal is going to sign a contract that's going to pay him significantly more money than John. Yes. Um, way way more money would, than John. I don't think it would be the worst idea in the world to maybe use your cap space. If you can't sign Kevin Durant and you can't sign DeMar DeRozan or something, it may not be the worst thing in the world for Harmony to say, all right, we're going to bring you up, John, because and the reason his contract is low is because he just signed it three years ago and the gap is jumping. Right. He basically um, was he basically signed his contract at the worst possible time. Not that there's a worst possible time to get $80 million, but basically from the right. moment he signed his contract, the salary cap has started to skyrocket. That's right. So that's an option for them, and I know that that's not going to make fans happy. But if you're going to say to them, listen, John and Brad, we, we're going to roll with you guys. You're going to be our core. You guys are still young. As you guys mature into your prime, you know, we're going to continue to look to get you role players, and we're going to get you a role player or two, but you know, we're investing in you. you know, there's, there's worse ways to spend the money. So um, now, now here's where somebody will hear this who's a capologist and tell me, no, no, because of subsection D, paragraph F, you know, you know, you can't do that. And, you know, the way I understand the rules, I think he's eligible. No, I think I think Um, you're right, too. And look, the thought process to me, I mean, your thought process is sound, which is basically, look, what do you want? Do you want to just spend your money when you have it on whatever you can get? Or if you can't get the elite guy, the guy that can truly make you a title contender, would you rather just let your young backcourt? I think John is 24, 25. Brad's twenty-two. I mean, they're not—they're not, they're not going to be—they're not going to be long in the tooth anytime soon. Is it better to play the long game and say, "Look, we're going to wait and 
you know, keep our powder dry. And when we can really get a difference making player, go get that guy and then take the leap forward as opposed to locking ourselves into being, I don't know, some team like the Hawks with, you know, when they had Joe Johnson and they had a group that was basically guaranteed to get to the second round of the playoffs, but couldn't really get beyond that. Now, talking to some people here who are Wizards fans, like, you know, our columnist, Dan Steinberg, his wife is a, a Wizards season ticket holder. And, you know, the Wizards just, they have had such a miserable history that I think a lot of fans might just say, hey, a second round of the playoffs every year for five or six years sounds pretty good. But I think that if you're Ted Leonsis and you've had a hockey team that's gotten, you know, deep into the playoffs year after year after year and hasn't found a way to win, and you have a, a you know a basketball team now that's starting to get into the playoffs on a consistent basis and hasn't been able to take a, a deep run yet, I would think that what you'd want to do is is try to swing for the fences and frankly be a team like the Warriors. I mean, really, the Warriors have really excelled at taking advantage of their opportunities, and when they have a chance to go get a guy they think they can put them over the top, go do that. They haven't, you know, they've been. You know, especially under this new ownership in the last couple of years, they've they've gone after, um, you know, they went out and got Andrew Godalo and people didn't think it could happen. They went and got Andrew Bogut. You know, they, they went and got guys that they thought could make a difference for them. And I, th- I think I think for the Wizards, I, I don't think settling for being a mid-tier team by throwing a gigantic contract at some guy like DeMar DeRozan who isn't going to move the needle that much for them. I, I don't I'm not sure that's really what they should do if their goal is to really try to build this team into being, you know, a team that's a, an Eastern conference power, as opposed to one that's just somewhere in the middle of the pack. I agree. And that's why it's so hard. There's only one prize, you know, and, and, you know, the, the Wizards have done a, a very good job, you know, since they won the lottery to get John wall, you know, and since they had that bad season to get Bradley Beal, they've drafted well, you know, um, you know, Otto Porter, Otto Porter's, Otto Porter's a fine pick. You, you, I mean, people went crazy about him being the third pick, but you go back and look at the draft he was in, and he's one of the better players in that draft. So, I mean, that that was fine. And you know, in this, in a in a way, this brings us all the way back to the beginning, because you look at what the Sixers were trying to do, and that's why it's so hard. Because even if you do things right, to your point, there's only one team that wins, and. If your only goal is to win a championship, then it's your your path to getting there is so fraught with peril at so many places where so many little things can um, can throw things off one way or the other. I mean, the Thunder. I mean, we mentioned the Thunder too. The Thunder are a perfect example. They had probably the best three year run of drafting in the history of the league. I mean, when you draft Durant, Russell Westbrook, Serge Ibaka, and James Harden in a three year period, it's I mean, it's pretty hard to think of a better run than that, and they've gotten to one finals and haven't won any. Although, uh, you know, you know, the Warriors they drafted didn't they draft? Um, they did draft Harrison Barnes, Festus Azili, and Draymond Green in the same year, which is pretty great on the same day. <laughs> How about that? Pretty, that's, <laughs> that's 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 that, not that was bad. a pretty good day. That's not bad. Um, you know, and even them. I mean, they you know they draft Steph Curry and you know there were times where the, you know he was being benched for AC Law and. I mean, it, 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 there's no, there's no set path to making this happen, which, you know, like you said, it fans are always ready for the next move to happen and the next go get this big name or go get this guy or go get that guy. But, you know, sometimes the best path is to take the simplest one and just not 
try to rush ahead. And, you know, when you have an opportunity to really jump forward, seize on it. And, you know, it, but it is, it, that, that is what makes this whole thing interesting because there just isn't, there just isn't a, a simple way to do it. And there isn't a guaranteed path to success. That is why, as you said earlier, that's why we watch the games because this doesn't, none of this ever ends up working out the way we really expect it to. So, um, well, I've kept you long enough, Brian. Is there, uh, is there anything you'd like to plug on the dot com? I just want to say thank you for having me on. And maybe I'll be the, if, if this indeed turns out to be the inaugural podcast, you know, it could be, you could get a better offer and then have him jump or her jump ahead there of There won't me. be any jumping of, there won't be any jumping ahead of Brian Winhurst on the, on the posting of podcast. I can promise you. So I would like to thank you for the honor of having me. Of course, my friend. That's all you want to plug? You have no stories or podcasts or, or anything to plug? I don't. I, I'm not, I, I have nothing to plug. Well, I will plug for you. You can read Brian on ESPN.com. He's terrific. What is your Twitter handle for people? Though I'm sure everyone who's listening to this already follows you. I think Twitter's overrated. I know so, Twitter's overrated, I, but you're really my doing Twitter a great job is, of allowing me to wrap <laughs> up the podcast. <laughs> my Twitter handle is Winhurst ESPN. See, how hard was that? And I, that was very simple. And I appreciate my followers, but, you know. We we, more we spend we, we spend pretty much Brian and I are good friends and we spend most of our time talking about three things the NBA traveling in some form and the digital universe so Twitter the importance of Twitter and where the digital universe is has come up plenty of times so we could have the good an, thing about a podcast is that while people are listening to this they can do something else they can drive they can be on the treadmill they can do the dishes they can cook dinner. You know, that's what, I, that's what I like. It's hard to do other things when you're also doing Twitter, which makes Twitter a little overrated to me. But that said, I use it every day myself, so I'm not going to throw a stone. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, <laughs> I'm, with you on, uh, I'm with you on all that. So um, you can find me on Twitter, even though Brian just said it doesn't matter, at, uh, at Tim Bontemps. And you can... I didn't say it doesn't matter. I said <laughs> don't make too big of a deal of it. Well, okay then don't make too big of a deal of Twitter, but you can find me there and you can find my work at the Washington Post sports section. And before we go, I should add that the theme music to this podcast has been provided by Glenn Yoder in the Western States. Uh, Glenn Yoder is the sports digital editor, of the Washington Post. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. And um, I'm really excited that uh, we're going to have his music on the podcast. I think it's great. And um, it's cool to say that I know the guy who did it. So, think it's really good and it's uh it's a fun little nugget so just want to let you guys know about that um thanks again to brian for being here and have a great day thank you